Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. You are Locked On Magic, your daily podcast on the Orlando Magic. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Heat and whatever. Welcome to Locked, Locked On Heat versus Locked On Magic, episode two. The Miami Heat and the Orlando Magic are playing tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Um, first game of the regular season, so that's the first newsworthy portion of what we're doing here. Um, so let's just start a little bit with this Heat vs. Magic rivalry, because I know Philip, I should probably introduce us all. I'm Wes Goldberg, uh, host of Lockdown Heat with uh, uh, David Ramil over here, finally back from vacation, right? Yep, yep. Heard how the numbers had been tanking and thought it was time to make my triumphant return. So think of this as uh, LeBron coming back to Cleveland. Yeah, I, that's the, the only uh, one I was going to say, when we get the welcome, welcome home to the podcast tribune. Okay, I, I'm jumping ahead to 2018 when, when Dwayne Wade resigns with Miami. How about that? There. Perfect. And then we're also here with Philip Rossman Reich. Reich? Reich? Did I say it? Reich. 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 I had it right the first time. Uh, uh, the host of Locked On Magic. How you doing? I'm doing good. This is. I feel like this is like uh, when Triple H came out of the crowd and uh, delivered the title to, to Kevin Owens. I get to be Kevin Owens, of course. So watch out for that pedigree, Wes. So um, that went over your heads too. I bet. Yeah, you know what? I'm not a wrestling guy, so you're like everything you're saying right now makes no sense to me. And I'm sure it's just going to get better when you start talking about the Magic, who <laughs> I promise you have watched a ton of this preseason. Um, the Magic doesn't make sense to anybody, so so it's okay. So we're off to a good start. <laughs> This is weird wow. for me because I've been doing the show solo for like the last three or four or five whatever days. Seems like forever, and now I have not one but two people on the podcast with me as well. So this should be, this is gonna be weird. So if I just start like talking to myself and talking over all of you guys, just like bring me back to earth. But um, well, so- it's it's a lot like the regular season. Everybody's getting their timing back. You're working with new teammates, but pretty soon it'll just be like you know playing basketball, podcasting. It's the same thing. You'll find your <laughs> rhythm soon enough, Wes. So I'm looking forward to it, man. All right, good. Thanks, man. Appreciate the kind <laughs> words. You're the locker room leader. Um, all right, Philip. Why don't we just start with your quotes from Evan Fournier, who had uh, who had some stuff to say about the rivalry between the Heat and the Magic. Yeah. Uh, so I was at I was at Orlando Magic practice this afternoon, the last practice before the regular season begins, and you know I asked if you know there's a different intensity or. or but what's going to change now that the regular season's here? You know, we've seen them and they've seen themselves in practice. We've seen a few preseason games, but what really changes now that the that the the season starts? And you know, he he said, "quote Honestly, I think playing Miami the first game is special. We don't like them. They don't like us. It's no secret. It's the Florida rivalry. It's always great to play against them. There are going to be a lot of Heat fans tomorrow. Looking forward to it. It's always good to play the Heat." And I think I think Nikola Vucevic also noted that there'll probably be a, a good number of Heat fans in the building tomorrow. And, and I know that's a sore subject among Magic sure. fans that, that that we get invaded a lot. But uh, it's you know I I you know whether the team wants to admit it or not, I think playing and beating the Heat really matters to them. Well, they're uh, clearly uh, admitting it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least Evan Fournier and, and Vucevic are the, the guys. Um, 
is this like the civil conflict deal? Like, if the Heat win <laughs> this, are they just going to leave the trophy in Orlando and be like, we don't really care about this? Uh, prob- probably. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think I definitely think it's more of a Magic thing than a Heat thing. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I Magic fans will probably hate me saying this, but I think Magic fans have a little bit of an inferiority complex. Like, we just we just want to matter. You know, we just yeah. want people to like us and, and pay attention to us, good or bad, sometimes. Uh, and then when they pay attention to us bad, we yell at them for hating us for some reason. But, uh, like, for the Magic, since Dwight Howard left, essentially, they, they've they only beaten the Heat, I think, twice. There was a game in Miami in, like, December 2014, I think, mm. that Oladipo hit a shot at the end. And then last year they beat him in Orlando toward the end of the season in overtime. And those are the only two times they've beaten them, and they've had some heartbreakers. LeBron's, you know, put a dagger through them a few times. Vucevic had that 30-rebound game that went into overtime against the Heat that they ended up losing. So there are there have been a lot of heartaches against Miami. And so, I, I you know, I don't know if it's necessarily a divisional thing or, or if it's, an, you know, what it is. But I, I do think, especially the players that have been on the Magic for a long time now, Beating that jersey means something to them. Even even though Wade and Bosch aren't going to be playing and LeBron's long gone, I I do think for for the Magic at least it does matter to them playing this team and and beating this team. I I mean I I think from the Orlando players' perspective, it has to be particularly disheartening to hear so many Heat fans in the building. I mean I remember yeah. attending a game last year and um, you know every. T- Times Dwayne Wade hit a free throw, the crowd would go crazy. I mean, that's just that's it's just just that's not the way it's supposed to be when you're a home crowd, and 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 so it must be really disheartening. Like I said, so I'm sure that probably pisses them off a little bit, and they probably get a, a little extra incentive. I mean, I I can speak at least from the Miami Heat fan perspective. I mean, I know Nikola Vucevic has practically you know earned his contract by demolishing those <laughs> Heat teams during the Big Three era because yeah. he had a couple games of getting 20 plus rebounds there. And I mean, I know he's done that regularly and whatnot, but from the heat fan perspective that sees Orlando, maybe a little bit less frequently, you know, since they're not necessarily on national television, you just see big gains from Vooch and everything else. And I mean, he, he's, I can imagine that he's probably a little inspired and, you know, he played, he's played well against Miami in the past for sure. Yeah. I don't think the rivalry is quite there with the heat going towards Orlando as it is Orlando towards Miami, but um, there's definitely a, a nice, friendly um, disdain for Nikola Vucevic, at least among the uh, Miami Heat fan base. He's one of those yeah. killers. And, and I mean, and I'll add, and I'll add, you know, one more note for tomorrow's game. At least, I, I, I do think um, to open the season with the way the Magic are opening the season. Um, if, if Heat fans don't know, the, the Magic will. Uh, do their tribute and their their recognition and honoring of the 49 victims of the Pulse shooting from mm. over the summer before the game. When when the schedule came out and the Heat were the were the, the team that was coming into Orlando first, and we we kind of knew and figured they'd be doing something to to recognize uh, recognize the the shooting this 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 summer. I could not think of a better opponent to face in the Miami Heat because I I you know it was. For those that don't know, it was it, it, Pulse was having a Hispanic night. Um, it's a pretty popular, you know, pretty iconic gay club in Orlando. Yeah, very popular. And yeah. and it 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 wouldn't surprise me if there were a lot of people who were from South Florida who either went who go to UCF or you know drove up specifically for that evening in 
in, in Orlando. And so, you know, I think to share that moment with Miami, yes, they're, yes, they're the in-state rivals, but they're also our neighbors. And so I think, you know, all, all the, and all the, you know, maybe pretend animosity aside, I, I cannot think of a better opponent to share that night and share that moment with and share that moment of healing with than, than the Miami heat. So I, I'm, I'm excited to, to have them in town tomorrow and, and happy that, that they'll be the ones that we'll be, fa- we'll be facing tomorrow. That's a really good note. And let's just get onto the game then. But, um, Actually, let's not get onto the game. Let's uh, let's <laughs> talk about before the game. This whole preseason, because when we for for Heat versus Magic episode one, um, we had talked during the off season, but before the preseason, so we were really reacting to the summer, what had happened um, with both teams. Both teams very much changed over. We don't have to go through all of that, but let's talk about Miami first and the, our preseason takeaways. Now that that's all wrapped up, um, David, what was your Takeaway from what you did manage to see the preseason. I know you were on vacation for the last couple of games. Oh, you weren't supposed to reveal what I've been doing, but um, <laughs> I, I guess just the overall faster tempo. I think you and I have talked about it a number of times as far as Goran Dragic really pushing the pace a lot, and and you know everybody else following suit. Even when you see these new players being integrated into the system, there they've kind of taken the lead from Dragic, and I think that's been really the, the key for this team. Um, you know, we, we had talked about last season how Dwayne Wade kind of controlled the tempo so much. He brought the ball down and that wasn't necessarily playing to the strengths of what Dragic can do. But this, you know, in the preseason, so you take it for what it's worth. But he's had the ball in his hands. He's been pushing the tempo. Uh, he's been leading the team on the fast breaks opportunities. And, and it's just been a really good thing to see, I think, for for a team that was somewhat stuck in the mud at times over the last few years, particularly after the Big Three era. Uh, I think this is something that's going to be a, a fun thing for a lot of Heat and Magic fans to watch, to be honest with you. It's a completely different team than the team that they've been watching over the last few years. Yeah, about Goran Dragic, I mean, I pulled up some of these stats. Um, in the preseason, he's got a 22% usage rate. Uh, shooting His true shooting percentage, 63.1%. An assisted turnover ratio of 2.8. Um, his per 36-minute stats, because he wasn't obviously not playing his full minutes, so I'd try to use the per 36, 19 points, 9.1 assists, and 3.3 turnovers. So really that's good. That's a little low, isn't it? I would think that's a little low. I mean, I would expect him to be a little bit more productive. Well, at least the points. I mean, he's. I think he's just, oh, really? maybe the thing is he's been trying to dish the ball out a lot more and get everybody involved. And that, yeah, I, I guess that that's more like, of the traditional that, point guard. Yeah, 19 points and 9 assists. I mean, the, the balance is great. I mean, I can understand him being at like 7 assists and being over 20 points. But then... Just to compare him to the post-All-Star break of last season, really when the team decided to speed things up, move the wall dang to the four, etc. Um, a 24% usage rating post-All-Star break, um, but 54.4 true shooting percentage, so almost 10% worse in true shooting percentage. Um, 2.44 an assist-to-turnover ratio, so he's now he's dishing out more assist-to-turnover, so much more efficient passing the ball. Um, it's per 36 minutes, 8.5 points, so close to the 19 points but only 7.2 assists compared to the 9.1. So definitely more efficient with the time he has the ball. And two point, in this preseason, 2% less usage than he did last season after the All-Star break. So with when he has the ball in, a, in his hands, I mean, this whole summer we've been talking about, okay, his stats are going to be up. He's going to be able to make more of an imprint on this team because he's going to have the ball in his hands more. But even when just you know, a per possession basis, he's more efficient with it. So it's not just going to be raw totals that are going to go up for him. It does seem like mm-hmm. this whole system that they've built around him now 
through training camp and through the, the, the full preseason schedule fits him better so he's being more efficient with the ball. And that's something that Pat Riley and the Heat were looking forward to when they acquired him two years ago. I don't know if you got a chance to watch Miami too much, Philip, but if you did, what were your uh, takeaways? Uh, yeah, uh, obviously the Magic played Miami down in mm-hmm. Miami about a week ago now, I think, something something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Miami really impressed me with, with – and they played that game without Hassan Whiteside, so I guess you take it with a little bit of a grain of salt, but they – looked really good when they downsized uh the, you know Gordon draw I mean Magic weren't particularly engaged that day so it seemed like Miami got him down early and it, then it became a preseason game uh but Miami like if, if Dragic is getting into the paint like like we know he can um and like you kind of described how he played when they went small he's going to be able to find people he is a, a really really skilled passer uh, and uh, and just a generally good player and then certainly an underrated player for what what he does he's he's often been overshadowed and so you know, this offense feels like it's completely his. And, you know, the way that he just find guys that are able to fill roles and, and play with a lot of energy, they're going to be a pesky team. And, and especially if they, they play small, they've got some players uh, that, that have that versatility to, to keep up their defense uh, and generate good offense, even if they don't always have the best shooters on the floor. Um, you know, obviously Spolster's a great coach, coach and all that. So I, I'm intrigued to see how, whether that small lineup that, that works so well against Orlando uh, last week is something that they can continue to, to push through. Um, obviously, I think a part of the reason they had so much success last week is, besides the Magic just not playing with fantastic effort, uh, was the Magic didn't adjust their lineup to play small. They kind of stuck with the rotations they had in mind anyway. Uh, so, you know, I think if the, the Heat go small tomorrow, we'd see Ibaka play some center where he didn't play any center in that, in that game. Hey, Philip, I've got to ask you know, from an outsider, quote unquote outsider's perspective, you know, we've heard a lot of trade talk recently about Dragic. Um, and I think some in the Heat fan base have soured on him a little bit because they really haven't seen him control the team the way that he's likely to do at the start of this season. And what's your take on that? Because, you know, you spoke very highly of him and you seem to know a lot about his game, obviously. So what do you think of that, you know, from that perspective? I mean, I, I like I, I come at Dragic this way. I mean, is he the kind of starting point guard that you can put the ball in his hands and him be kind of the dominant scorer and playmaker and your team's going to be successful? I, I'm not so sure about that. There's definitely a ceiling on what he can he can provide a team. I mean, he's still a very capable, very good player. Uh, but I also kind of feel like you're in that boat where you know Dragic is a good point guard. You know, you know exactly what you're going to get from him. So you can't really trade him until you have his replacement in place. Like you give up Gordon Dragic, and and I, I mean I don't know who the Heat's backup point guard is right now, but um, you know you, there, there's definitely a hole there. There's definitely a major step down. So if the Heat are really interested in staying competitive this year, I think Dragic is absolutely key to what they have to do or to what they're going to do. And you know he's someone that that's shown that he can run a team and and be successful and, and help generate some offense. Whether he can do that consistently night to night and, and, and over the stretch of an 82-game season is certainly another question. But in, in a single game, he's certainly capable of taking over and having a big game and, and really controlling the tempo and, and directing traffic out there. Would you take him over Alfred Payton? Uh, if I needed to win this year, yes. If I needed to win two years from now, pro- two or three years from now, probably not. Okay. Hmm. So you're saying no to that trade then? I, I'm saying no to that trade. Okay. Worth a shot. Good try, oh. David. <laughs> um, 
Well, let's let's shift our focus over to the Magic then and our preseason takeaways there. I'll tell you from the one game I watched um, of the Magic this preseason, which was against the Heat, I was thoroughly unimpressed. I know that they had a lot of players that were not playing that game, but I came away with the same reaction you did from that game, that they weren't they, they didn't have a willingness to shift their lineup. Uh, I thought Frank Vogel was stubborn. I don't know if there was a plan to do that because it's preseason and maybe you're just trying to see what you can get out of your core lineup and your core rotation without moving it around too much based on the opponent. I would understand that if that were the case. I don't know if it was or not. But um, for me, I think the Magic have a lot of interesting pieces. Uh, you know, it's no secret that maybe they don't fit together very well or that we don't really exactly know what the plan is here with signing guys like Ibaka and Bismarck Biombo with with uh, Nikola Vucevic already there and then adding Jeff Green and already having Aaron Gordon. It's like, okay, which how many of these guys can play the power forward position for you? But um, it does also give Frank Vogel a lot of chess pieces to move around and play with, which is a similar problem to what the Heat have right now with their... Um, with their two guard rotation, I mean, everybody complains about how stacked they are at at shooting guard, or how much, how many similar type players they have there that can, you know, how are you going to get them all minutes? But you know, I'd rather have that problem than have the problem of okay, we have no idea who should be starting, like the Heat's power forward position, for example. So, um, to me, that's my takeaway: is that I don't know if they've completely gotten a sense of what their rotations should be, where they where they should play Serge Ibaka. I think he's a better center. It sounds like maybe you think that too. Um, what's your overall um, takeaway from the preseason, um, the entire preseason? Yeah, I, I mean, I think you, you kind of hit it a little bit on the head. I think the Magic spent a lot of this preseason trying to figure themselves out in a lot of ways. And it's not just lineups and rotations, because really because... Ibaka, Gordon, and Peyton were injured for the first two preseason games uh, and, and weren't able to play. And Vogel and, and Vogel has, has told us that he didn't want to, you know, downsize. He wanted to take a look at specific lineups in, in that Heat game, so he wasn't going to shift Ibaka to the okay. five and uh, five. I mean, Gordon didn't play, but he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna adjust to, to the Heat in that game. He was just gonna kind of stick to his plan. Um, I, I think if Miami goes small like that again on on Wednesday or today. Um, I think we'll see him throw Bach in at the five, maybe see Gordon at the four a little bit or see Gordon in a lineup with Jeff Green or, or something like that. Um, I think he was trying to just see what he has still. And a lot of the preseason was, was spent just figuring out who each other are, who what this defense is. Um, it's, you know, when you think about it, the Magic, I think, had the second largest roster turnover in the NBA this year. Mm-hmm. Plus, they have a new coaching staff, so everything is new to everybody. And... You throw in injuries to, to three starters on top of that to start the start training camp, and you're already a little bit behind the eight ball. And so I think the preseason was really spent just kind of getting comfortable. It wasn't consistent at all. The Magic uh, were a little bit off throughout the throughout the preseason. They weren't per- they weren't perfect. They, it was clear they were still learning things. They were still figuring out where they need to be on the floor, how they need to play defense, and it just hadn't quite come together yet. And so, Is that like Rob um, Hennigan's fault? Because, I mean, we keep talking about, okay, they don't really know what they have. They don't know what their lineup should be. Like, isn't that part of the GM, the general manager's job, is to like, okay, I'm getting these players so you could play them in these positions, coach? Or how much of Frank Vogel, how much influence did Frank Vogel even have on, on getting some of these more veteran guys? Because we saw Rob Hennigan, I, the Magic's I, GM. I think... Yeah, I think it was. I think it was really a mix of both. I think. I think Hennigan was was or, or Vogel was involved in bringing in some of these veterans. So having, I mean, H- Vogel has talked kind of out his ear, you know, at, so much that uh, 
we're trying to build something similar to what I had in Indiana. We had a lot of success in Indiana with two bigs. Like it's, it, that's a line that he's repeated several times. So I think mm. bringing in Ibaka, that was an opportunity that came across. The Magic knew they needed a kind of room protecting four to help Vucevic out. And so they, they took that chance. Uh, they targeted Biombo to make sure they had rim protection on the floor at all times of the game. So that's, you know, they're trying to build defense. They're trying to build this defensive system and this defensive mentality. They love Gordon as a perimeter defender. They they love Gordon as a defender, period, I think. Uh, and so they, they kind of just, I feel like when they were building this roster, they kind of said, you know, let's just put all our eggs into the defense basket with our starters mm. uh, and then expect some of the young guys, especially like an Aaron Gordon and an Alfred Payton to grow a little bit. And then we can figure things out from there. If, if there's pressure, it's it's coming from ownership and management saying we need to make the playoffs now, and let's just kind of bank on one thing to to get us in there. And they've chosen defense, which is probably the right decision. Uh, you know, it's it's just not a complete team yet, and they haven't really had the repetitions to to play strong defense. I mean, throughout the preseason, you saw flashes of what they're gonna, what they were going to be. There's a game against the Atlanta Hawks in Orlando where the Magic had three blocks on three consecutive possessions right. um, with Biombo and Ibaka on the floor at the same time. And it really looks like actually that, that Biombo-Ibaka duo is going to going to, to, to work or going to be really, really impressive and imposing to score on. Uh, they, they've just dominated the paint. But then in the second half, the, the momentum kind of waned. They, they, la- they laxed a little bit, and it just isn't all quite completely there yet. And, and that's just the product of they're still very new to each other. And that was that was a big Tim Hardaway Jr. game, if I recall correctly, right? Didn't he close a lot of the their lineups in the in the in fourth quarter and such? I think so, yeah, because yeah. Corver was out. I mean, that game, Corver was out, Howard was out, uh, Schroeder was out. So we got a lot of right. Tim Hardaway. We got a lot of Will Bynum. Uh, yeah, it was it was that that game was there was there were some really good like throughout the preseason for the Magic. There were some really really good moments and then some really really bad moments, often in the same game. And I'm thinking, you know, the biggest question you mentioned, putting all their eggs in the defensive basket, but, uh, you know, a lot of Indiana all success. The dom- all the defensive dominoes in that basket, oh, as you like to say. You're absolutely right. I, it's, it hasn't stuck yet, but that's exactly <laughs> the phrase. Um, you know, but a lot of the success they did have in Indiana, you know, was un- you know due in large part to the presence of Paul George and his overall greatness. And they're counting on Aaron Gordon evolving into that kind of player. And at this point, it doesn't seem likely that he's able to do so, but that's the the hope anyway, that he'll become a playmaker and a, a more gifted scorer than we've seen over the last few years. I mean, the, the defense, I think, for the most part, is still there, although you'd hope that he'll be a little bit more consistent on that end. But they're really counting on him to thrive offensively and as a playmaker, as a centerpiece of the team. And that's something he hasn't had to do throughout his short NBA career. I know it's been limited by injury and whatnot, but to me that seems to be – you know, a, a big gamble for this team moving forward, and one that really the, the, their their success this season will hinge on. I think. I mean, yeah, so, a- absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it seems interesting, Philip. You, you mentioned that he talked about like wanting to turn this into Pacers 2.0, or you know, Indiana Pacers 2016. And so, like, what Biombo's playing the Roy Hibbert role. Abaka is the mid-range shooting. You know veteran presence a la David West, I guess, right? And I guess they're trying sure. to make Aaron Gordon into Something Paul like George. That. Alfred Payton is a defense first wing like George Hill. Is that kind of am I on the right am I on the right track here? Yeah, some some something like that. Okay. Something like that. I mean obviously they have some obviously there's some different skill sets in there and you know maybe Evan Fournier takes on some of the scoring load 
that that you would expect from the Paul George role hmm. uh, because Aaron's, Aaron Gordon may not just quite be there yet. But you know they're gonna they're gonna push Gordon to to really develop, um, really become more than he is in the extension level. Uh, they got to figure out what they have in him before they have to pay him. And then Mario Zonia is there too, obviously. Yeah, Mario Mario is there doing something. <laughs> Taking pictures of himself in the mirror or something like that. Um, all right. Well, we're already starting to get into this storyline area, and one of the, that's one of the things I wanted to talk about. Let's uh, let's start with the Magic since we're already there. What's the most intriguing storyline for the Magic this season? Let's start with you, David. I want to I want to know what you think is. Well, to me, you know, aside from Gordon and everything else, I think it's just I want to see what kind of version of Serge Ibaka we'll see this season because you know he was never really counted on being a ball dominant player in, in Oklahoma City. He was, you know, obviously a third option there to Westbrook and, and Durant and rightfully so. Uh, I think that was part of the reason why he was frustrated there. He wanted more of a role, but I'm not sure that he's necessarily equipped to handle it. You know, I, I did cover the Thunder a bit and I saw him there and he was horrific with a ball at times. He wasn't much of a ball handler. Um, he was reduced to the spot up shooting role and that was where he thrived. And if he's able to duplicate that here in Orlando, then I think he'll be successful. But part of his complaint, you know, from what we've heard, was that he wanted the, the ball more. He wanted to be more of a focal point. So I'm curious to see how he's able to continue to grow, develop here, you know, in, in Orlando. But at the same time, flow within part of a, a new team offense and things of that sort. And also, you know, in context of his contract year, which will define a lot of how he plays. You know, he might wind up playing selfishly towards the end of the season if Orlando finds himself out of a playoff spot just so he can put up, put up big numbers and, and you know kind of turn that into a bigger contract down the road. Uh, I'm sure he said that he's happy in Orlando. In fact, I've heard him say he's happy in Orlando and everything else. He wants to stay there long term. But, you know, I don't know that that's necessarily in the, in the forefront right now. He wants to have a big number year. And I think if he can guide this team to the playoffs, that'll be an extra feather in his cap. But, you know, a lot of teams are looking for him to be productive. I know there are questions about his age and everything else. But right now, I think he just needs to be more of a consistent consistent scorer because I think the defense all obviously is still there, although those numbers waned a little bit in his last couple of seasons in Oklahoma City. Though I think injury played more of a part of that that people like to admit or, or care to, to, to point out. But, you know, that's to me, that's the big thing is how does Ibaka handle – being quote unquote the man on this team because he's you know he's the most experienced player on this team, uh, you know guide help guide the team to the finals everything else like that uh, you know and he's he's been under the biggest microscope I think he's known how to deal with the spotlight and all these things and and for the most part this is still such a young team that they're going to be looking to him as a as a leader and I don't know that he necessarily fits that even just away from the floor. He's never struck me as being the locker room guy, you know, kind of to himself. He's, you know, an international player, which plays very well here in, in you know, Orlando where they have Fournier, Vucevic, et cetera. But I, I, just, I didn't know if he was able to take on that kind of leadership role. Maybe he's more of a leading by example type player. But I'm curious to see how he thrives both in the locker room and on the floor, too. I like how you just like slipped in there. There's, there's questions about his age, a.k.a. we have no idea how old this dude is. Which is such a weird thing, but anyway, Philip, what do you? What's your key storyline you're watching for? I mean, you're covering this team. Like, what's the? So it's kind. Of, I guess it's a hard question to ask because you got some. You're probably juggling a million storylines. But to you, what's just the most intriguing? What's the thing that you continually find yourself thinking back on? Questions. Questions of Serge Ibaka's age aside, of course, because we've got Bismack Biombo as well on the team, and, and as Kyle Lowry pointed out, he's forty. Uh, you know. <laughs> 
there to I'll, I'll cover the overarching question. I like how like Rob Hennigan's first question is, do you know how old you are? You're not telling me you're hired. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, you know, 35 year old professional. I, I, I guess, I guess as long as you don't lie on your resume, you're fine. Oh. Uh, but, um, <laughs> George O'Leary, uh, George O'Leary shade. George O'Leary. Yeah. George <laughs> hands up to George O'Leary. Uh, the, uh, that I'll, I'll take the overarching question for this team, the, 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 the big thing that I'm – the big storyline, and that's can this team make the playoffs? Um, I think the, the, this whole Magic rebuild for the last four years has been about creating a sustainable winner and doing it through the draft. And they just didn't get the picks they needed at the right times to, to find those central pieces or maybe they took too many risks in their draft picks. And it seems like ownership has kind of finally come around and said – it's time to move forward. It's time to make the playoffs. The Magic right now are, you know, four years is the longest playoff drought in Magic history. It's tied for the longest playoff drought in Magic history with the expansion years, with the first four years of the franchise. And so essentially, it they're like back to square one as, as an organization in, in a lot of ways, or at least for them. And, and this is not a fan base that's used to being out of the playoffs this long. And there is a real hunger to stop waiting and start making the playoffs. And I think the big storyline this year is can the Magic make the playoffs? Can they deliver on the playoffs? And if they can't, what happens next? I, I get this. I get the feeling that um, not making the playoffs would bring some change. I mean, I, I don't think it, it's not hard to 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 make that assumption. I mean, I kind of think that if they get close, maybe they they stick some things out. But but uh, it, it's it's going to be a, a a real interesting thing to watch. You know what happens when this team struggles? Do, if they get out slow and they and they can't and they're out of the playoff uh, playoff race, you know what happens next? If it's if they're at the trade deadline and they're right there and they need that little boost up, what do they give up? What do they sacrifice in their future to be the eight seed or be the seven seed in the playoffs? I mean, I think those questions are are really fascinating for the Magic. Uh, as they go through the season, because it, it doesn't, uh, to me, it doesn't matter how many wins they get. They could win 44 games and miss the playoffs and it's a bad season, or they could win 38 games and make the playoffs and it's a good season. It's, it, it's literally, that's, that's the, the standard that they're going to be judged by this season. Yeah. I mean, my, my main storyline is kind of in line with what, what you're thinking. And it's more specific though to like Frank Vogel, because I thought it was really strange when the Pacers fired him. Um, and I get what Larry Bird was trying to do. He wanted to play a different style. Frank Vogel doesn't want to do that. That's very clear because he's bringing that Pacers slow, defensive first, big man style, you know, play too big style to the Magic like we've been talking about. But In, 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 in fairness to that, though, he wants to run with this team. Right. But like I he's he's so saying I do wonder you want to get out and do run. <laughs> yeah, I, I think from what I've read, because I was doing a little research on some a piece there and from what I've read and I mean I don't know how accurate it is it's just been what's reported but Larry Bird said what the main impetus was was that he just wanted a different voice in the locker room which mm. is ridiculous you know it sounds very vague um, considering the success he had in the five seasons he was leading Indiana uh, that I mean it, it, to think that they needed a new voice considering that he took the the ground beef of last year and turned him into a playoff contending filet mignon that was that was pretty impressive so I mean um, I mean, they were, they, I were what, he, they were one. They were one Bismack Biombo non-call away from getting out out of the first round. Exactly. Yeah. I, you know, he he did a phenomenal job there guiding that team. They had a bunch of mixed parts together with you know a young Miles Turner and of course Paul George. But 
that was not a great team, and they were still able to make the playoffs and, and, and do some real damage there in the first round against Toronto. So, um, yeah. I mean, but, I completely you know, not, agree. I mean, that's and that's why I'm. It's so weird that there wasn't a lot of controversy around the Frank Vogel firing. I mean, of course, you had some stuff from the local people that cover the team, but it wasn't like sure. full blown like when Mark Jackson was let go by the Warriors, right? After well, that was different though, success. right? Because not really. I think it was just. I think it was just Jackson kind of burned his way out, and and there were so many different overarching themes with him. You know, the kind of religious overtones, the uh, well, that's the all shit stuff that he came did out with like his afterwards. Almost, I mean, there was that kerfuffle about his staffers during the, that last season, but spying on them. Yeah, you know that thing. Um, yeah, that. <laughs> but then even like not a, not even, a huge deal. Even in the There's past, him trying to like, throw out the GM. Right. Yeah, even sure. in the past, with like. Scott Brooks, you know, another competitive team with the Thunder, and he was like, oh, I just, I thought there would be more controversy with Fo- Frank Vogel, and everybody was just, were kind of like, oh yeah, okay, that kind of makes sense. Um, I mean, all the all the players were like, it seemed like really upset that that he was gone. Sure, yeah, I, we, 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 I know Paul, we talked Paul George had a, yeah. had a huge, huge, like a huge Instagram post just thanking Frank Vogel. Yeah, so I mean, and, and so like the star player kind of vouched for the coach that the Pacers. The Pacers didn't technically fire him. They just didn't renew his contract. Right. Yeah. Maybe that's why the media hasn't really jumped on that because they didn't just – but it's still weird. Like coaches don't just get not brought back. Like they, that's kind of just a yeah. weird thing. And, you know, and so that that kind of makes me wonder. I'm like, I don't know. Is this guy Is this guy really a good coach? I think he is, you know, from everything I've seen. I mean, I mean there, there, experience there was, is good. There was – there was – there, there was one story that I heard um, that he was just kind of a little too much in the weeds almost. Like he was, you know, he didn't, he, he's not a yeller or he's not that kind of a coach. He's, he, he's very analytical, you know, kind of very, very, very thoughtful and patient. And it, it kind of sounded like Bird wanted a little bit more fire from the bench or wanted, you know, wanted a, a, a wanted a, just a, a, literally just a different voice, a different approach to things to try and spur the Pacers to another level. Um, which is why I was still a little confused why they kept much of the same staff around. Right. Sure. Yeah. yeah so that, point I, well, sorry, Wes, but to, no, just to reiterate that, you know, what we've heard from not just Magic players, but also the Pacers players that were here just a couple of weeks ago is what a great, you know, kind of coach he is, like a player's coach and that he really connects with players. He's He's kind of sarcastic and funny and he really connects really well there. So if anything, I think that might be like his biggest strong suit. And Philip, you agree with that? Yeah, it sounds like that's kind of the biggest strong suit. Like a, a number of players said they had they had this thought that he might be kind of hard on them. Like, you know, you, right. you have this tough-nosed defensive coach. You know, he's he's a grinder. And, and obviously they're just coming out of the Scott Skiles experience where I'm sure that was kind of what the, the status quo was. But they, a lot of them have said, you know, he's really personable. He's positive. He's very positive with us. Right. Uh, you know, he holds us accountable, but he also points out the things – that we do well. And, and like even, you know, Evan Fournier, I think shared an experience where the coach, where Vogel called him and their first conversation, they didn't even talk about basketball. He just wanted mm-hmm. to know who he was as a person. And that was something that he, and I think a, a few other players just completely didn't expect. Right. So just to hop in there, then it, that's exactly what my storyline was, was even though there hasn't been a lot of, I guess a lot of media attention on Frank Vogel going to Orlando. I don't like national media attention. I thought there wasn't a lot of attention him going away from Indiana, as weird as that was, uh, at least for me, as far as I'm concerned, um, and going to Orlando. What it's going to be now that this team, which is still full of a lot of young players, um, 
what they get out of some real coaching. No disrespect to uh, Jacques Vaughn and Scott Skiles, but they were horrible coaches and probably even worse human yes. beings. And but no disrespect. Um, but uh, yeah, so throw, throw, punt, throw all the shade you want. Yeah, so whatever it's whatever. It's like, see, that's like a joke nobody laughed at. That's exactly what happened in my like last three or four podcasts when I was doing this by myself. But whatever. Um, <laughs> so. So yeah, I mean that's that to me is the biggest storyline. What does this team do with a real coach that exists? That's it's it's to me that's the biggest storyline. All right, let's move on to the Heat. Uh, most intriguing storyline for the season for Miami. I mean, there's so much going on in Miami, just as much as there's going on in Orlando. Let's start with David. No, let's start with Philip. I'm curious to hear because <laughs> wow. again, from the outsider's perspective, I don't mean to I don't mean to call him audible here, but I want to hear what he has to say about this team. You know, you and I talked about it. I'm sorry? Anarchy on the podcast. Well, that's the way it ought to be. I'm back, baby. I'm back. And that's the way it's going to be. From now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Philip, take well, it from there. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think my big storyline with the Heat is is how to move on from kind of the end of the big three era. Um, hmm. Dwayne Wade's gone. Chris Bosh is probably never playing for the Miami Heat again, uh, for, for better or for worse. Uh, and so I wonder what what happens to this program that they build? I mean, I think of 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 all the teams in the in the league, you know, save for maybe San Antonio, Miami's been Miami's probably been the most consistent basketball program, a basketball franchise in the league for the last decade and a half, I would almost. Uh, and so I'm really curious how that continues. Um, I think Eric Spolster is a really good coach. Um, I think he can coach himself out of a lot of problems. Uh, and, but that, you know, that roster is full of young guys. What can they squeeze out of this roster and, and how do they move forward? I mean, what, I mean, like you said, you know, they're going to be involved in trade talks there in Miami. They always think big, they got Pat Riley's rings to throw on the table. Um, how do they move forward from here? Uh, you know, how, what is the next stage of Miami heat basketball? And if, I guess the next question is, can a program as storied and as revered and as, you know, successful as Miami, will they give in to tanking and try and rebuild that way, or are they gonna try and build another way? I mean, I think it's really interesting how they how they move forward now that you know these these franchise pillars are suddenly gone. Hmm. Yeah, those are all those are all good points, man. And, and you, I think you nailed it as far as like the the national perspective on how a lot of people view this team, and not just that, but how a lot of people in, in you know quote unquote Heat Nation see this team, you know, the success and the questions they might have about this team moving forward. So, what's your main storyline, David? Uh, I'm I'm tempted to to say it's Dion Waiters' push for MVP because I mean that's <laughs> that's clearly where it's going, right? <laughs> yeah, the Dion Waiters' revenge tour, man. Absolutely. Uh, I think that's uh, you know likely to happen. But at the same time, I'm actually just more curious to, to narrow it down a little bit. I want to see what happens this year with Hassan Whiteside. To me, he's just he's not just the literal centerpiece of this team, but, you know, how he's going to control so much of what this team does this season. Because when he was there during the preseason, the limited minutes that he did play, he was just so clearly dominant. He was just so it was so easy for him to score at will over everybody. He the way he bullied uh, himself past you know defenders. Um, and, and, of course, to, to maybe possibly put the questions of his ego and whether or not he's a knucklehead to rest, all these things that kind of have dogged him throughout his short career and, and during the year and a half of his breakup. You know, during the past year and a half, it was like, oh, what a bargain Miami had. 
Uh, you know, he's clearly playing for a contract. What's going to happen once he plays for a contract? Well, now he's gotten that out of the way. He's got his $98 million. Now it's what happens next. And and from everything we've seen in the preseason, from everything we've heard from him, wanting to take on a leadership role and clearly being a leader on the floor, I, I want to see that continue to develop, be that, you know, more consistent presence, do a little bit more defensively as far as being able to attack the pick and roll more effectively and, and just being able to grow as an offensive player because, you know, he's clearly able to use his athleticism over everybody, but we want to see more playmaking out of him. We want to see a little bit more diverse, uh, you know, offensive repertoire, and, and I think that's what I'm looking forward to seeing from him, you know. And to me, I think the the most intriguing storyline is who becomes the face of the franchise, very much in line with what you were saying, Phil, on 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 what, what, how do the Heat move forward? To me, I want to see specifically who replaces Dwayne Wade as the face of the franchise. Um, mm. With Wade gone now, you're looking at Justice Winslow, a former lottery pick. Um, Hassan Whiteside, the highest paid player on the team. Goran Dragic, the person who's going to have his, his hands with the uh, on the ball probably most often. So, you know, those are probably the top three choices there. But I really want to see, I think Rolling Stone actually had a really great piece about Justice oh, yeah. Winslow being involved in the Miami community and just really trying to become basically a man of Miami. And I think that that's going to be a major storyline for me is watching Winslow. But then Pat Riley, like how much patience does he show? I mean, so many Heat fans will point to the Boston Celtics, what they've done after, you know, unloading their big three of Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, um, Ray Allen, Ray John Rondo, all those guys, after getting rid of all those guys, how they have moved forward. But that took a lot of patience by Danny Ainge and that whole group over there. And I always talk about the Timberwolves, who are finally on the precipice, it seems like, of a breakout season, but it's been a long time since it's been two years, you know, since they've traded Kevin Love. And they only won 29 games last year. We're just assuming that they're going to break out this year. We don't know if they will. Um, And that's with having two number one overall picks on the roster, which is really, you know, quick in that whole process for them. You know, you look at a team like Philadelphia that, like Phil said, that, you know, teams that just tank to try to get ahead, it takes a while. I don't know if Pat Riley has that sort of patience, and I don't know if he's going to have the kind of patience to wait for a face of the franchise, to wait for a true leader to take this team into the next era of of Miami Heat basketball, so to speak. I mean, um, David, you mentioned it a number of times on this podcast. Since Riley's gotten here, he's had Alonzo Mourning and Dwayne Wade the entire time. You know, and they don't. Who becomes that next Alonzo Mourning, that next Dwayne Wade? We don't know. Is it currently on the roster? I really hope so, and I selfishly hope it's Justice Winslow because I think he's like really cool. But um, does this team make a trade? And according to a lot of reports, teams are looking at the Heat to trade maybe Goran Dragic. And if that becomes the case, I don't know what you're getting one for one for Goran Dragic. If you're trying to, if you trade Dragic to tank, that's one thing. You just trade him, get some assets in return. That's fine. If you're trading him to try to get a star. Now, all of a sudden, you have to lump some other guys in. And those other guys are going to be Justice Winslow or Josh Richardson or Tyler Johnson or a young, promising player that a lot of Heat fans have already fallen in love with. You're going to have to attach one of them to Dragic to get a bigger, better player back in return. So that, to me, is the storyline. Who becomes the face of the franchise and how patient will Pat Riley be in finding that new uh, franchise player? So, um, all right, really, let's talk quickly about the actual and, game. And I, Go ahead. I think, and I think it's important to note that uh, and I think it's important to note there that it takes still a tremendous amount of luck, too. I mean, you talked about what Boston's done. Mm-hmm. Boston, the base of that whole rebuild was 
trading Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce for a million picks. And that set the base for them to go off and do other things. I mean, Philadelphia and Orlando really had very similar rebuilding plans. Go, you know, go through the pains of, of losing a lot to build draft assets. And Philadelphia got, you know, they, they, they fell into, they, they traded for Nerlens Noel, who was coming off an injury, but was probably the top, the top prospect in that draft. They were paid. They decided, you know, we're willing to wait on Joel Embiid at number three. Uh, and, you know, they, they've constantly said, you know, we're willing to wait to take the best talent. Orlando did the same thing. They had the number two pick. They took Victor Oladipo and he kind of capped off and they, they cashed him in. They got the number four pick in a three player draft and took Aaron Gordon. Uh, and then they got the number five pick and had a number of options and picked, picked one that seemed more to fit, fit the roster than maybe was the best player available. Uh, and it's hard to say whether any of those really panned out the way they wanted to. And certainly with those three top five picks, it's hard to say that they have an all-star on, the, uh, on that group mm. either. So it's, it's every path you take, there's no guarantee it's going to work. And I think that's always the uncertainty and, and where patience is really required. That's a good point. All right, let's talk a little bit about the game tonight. Uh, brief injury report. Uh, Josh McRoberts, Josh Richardson, Wayne Ellington all out for Miami. Uh, Bismarck Biombo, Jody Meeks out for Orlando. Um, what are we watching for in this game? Uh, I'm going to let, since since everybody's revolting on me, I'm just going to let whoever goes first. First first dibs go. Who? What are you watching for? Uh, guest always goes first, Phil, so you go ahead and take it. Get- Guess, guess, oh, I was going to say the guest always goes first because you're, you guys are visit, you guys are visiting Orlando. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> what, what I'm watching for is to to just see basketball. I mean, I think uh, it, I mean the preseason is the preseason, but I think I think everything gets kicked up a notch a little bit uh, in the regular season, and so I'm just interested, you know, as I've been throughout the preseason to see this Magic team in action and figure out what they are. I still don't think I have quite a clear idea of who they are yet and how exactly this team's going to work. And so uh, I'm just, I'm always just intrigued to see them in action and to see if they can unleash that defense uh, the way that they seem to think they can. Um, There's going to be a lot of adjustments still to be made. There's still going to be some hiccups. There's still going to certainly be some moments where the magic just really, really struggles specifically on offense. Uh, But I just want to see them go out and play, give good effort and begin to really, sink into this identity that they're trying to build. David? Oh, I thought you'd go next. Um, to me, <laughs> I, you know, to go back to the storyline that I had talked about for Orlando, I'm, I'm just really curious to see what happens with Ibaka. And maybe I'm expecting too much from him, considering it's his first game back and he was somewhat limited by injury. And, and despite, you know, my whatever allegiance I may or may not have for Miami, uh, you know, I'm curious to see what Ibaka does now that the team is – I think likely to be his, you know, I think he's the most experienced player, like I said, and I think he's the biggest name on that team and, and probably the biggest locker room presence at this point, other than Vogel himself. So how he kind of takes over uh, and, and, you know, puts the team on his back to get a little cliche there is, is what I'm most curious about. But, you know, on the flip side of that, I guess just, just to see Miami play and to see if that kind of up-tempo pace that we saw at points during the preseason is, uh, something that they can maintain in their first game and throughout the rest of the year. For me, it's we've seen this Heat rotation move around a little bit, and I'm mm. I'm I'm curious to see what eight or nine players. And from reports, it sounds like they're going to probably go with a nine man rotation. I'm I'm 
I'm intrigued to see what nine players that they go with, in what manner, you know, how, how many minutes does Tyler Johnson get at point guard versus where he plays at shooting guard, how much of a backup center do we see versus just playing James Johnson at the five, um, do we see Winslow move around between the three and the four, or does he mostly play small forward, um, just really want to get a hold of Spolster's rotation pattern, not that it's going to be this way after the first game of the regular season, but and that's one of the minor storylines that I'm watching for this whole year is how Spolster works his rotations, and specifically at the power forward position and how he kind of moves around the pieces around that awkward weakness of that roster. Um, but for me, it's I just want to see the rotation. And then another storyline, if I'm going to cheat and pick a second one, what I'm watching for here is Justice Winslow's jump shot. I think that's just... As far as his development, and his his development is also very much in line with the the ceiling of the this Heat team. So, and his jump shot is probably the most important part of that development. So I want to see his footwork. I want to see his his the the form of his stroke, everything like that. I just want to watch it. Hopefully, he gets a few three pointers up in this game that we can really get a sense of um, his rhythm and his flow as a three point shooter. And maybe if that shooting coach that the Heat hired this summer is really working. Um, Anybody else want to talk about anything about the game or anything else before we sign this thing off? Oh, so many different storylines. Just like, so excited to, to see a game that actually counts again. And uh, I'm just looking forward to this season. One way or the other, I mean, I still think Miami can make the playoffs, but even if they don't, even if that's not realistic, just to see this next phase of, of Heat basketball is one that's really intriguing for me. All right. Yeah, I'm just excited to have games that count again. It's it's it's. I'm ready to get this thing rolling. Yeah, watching watching these games on Tuesday night. I mean, it's I'm I'm smiling ear to ear just having real basketball back. I mean, as much as we love our teams and love covering them, the whole NBA being back is just an absolute joy. So this is fun. I mean, we're gonna have to. This is Heat vs Magic episode two. I'm sure we're gonna have many more episodes of this. I've always enjoyed talking with both of you guys much more than I enjoy just talking to myself. Um, <laughs> that's what we have for today. Whether you're listening on iTunes, Google Play, Audioboom, TuneIn, or Stitcher, thank you for listening. Uh, how can we get in touch with uh, Locked On Magic, Philip? Uh, best way to get in touch with Locked On Magic is uh, with me directly at OmagicDaily on Twitter. Uh, or you can also follow the podcast-specific uh, feed on uh, at Locked On Magic. Uh, and you can also, of course, subscribe to us on iTunes, Audioboom, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, all those fun places as well. All right, you can touch with show. You can touch you blah blah blah. You can get in touch with Locked On Heat at Locked On Heat or by our email address, where you can send us our mailbag questions, comments, or sponsorship opportunities. That's lockedonheat at gmail.com. If you aren't subscribed already to either of these podcasts, please do so to get the podcast automatically every single day. Rate us, review us, say nice things about us. We'll catch you next time. You are Locked On Magic, your daily Orlando Magic podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.